Welcome to the Clear to Close podcast with your host, local mortgage expert, Ryan Bolton. Ryan has the questions and answers, tips and tricks, do's and don'ts, and expert guests to explain all the steps needed to buy or sell real estate. And now it's time for the Clear to Close podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Clear to Close podcast. Today, we have the most special of special guests. It doesn't get any more special, people. This is Tiffany Lance with Horsehaven Ranch. She has a wonderful horse boarding facility here in Southern Utah. Check out horsehavenranch.org if you're in the horse world. And somehow, some way, I know when you take a look at her, you're like, how in the world? But this is also my wife, my beautiful, wonderful wife. And I mean, there's some mysteries in the universe we'll never solve. I don't know why. I mean, look, look, I mean... I, I don't know how we how we get there, but I thought it'd be pretty fun to bring her on. Uh, I do mortgage loans, real estate financing, and Tiffany in the horse world is probably as removed from real estate as you can be. Plus, she has me, so when she doesn't have really any questions, she always can come to me with questions. And she'll often have people in the horse world they're asking about horse financing or getting horse property and stuff like that, and how that's different than maybe a traditional mortgage loan. But I thought it'd be just fun. She, I, I just told her, hey, what questions do you have for me or for? the real estate world. And I just thought I'd give her, she kind of teased a couple questions to me and I just went, Oh man, (laughs) I have no idea. You know, so (laughs) we're going to see how this goes, but I thought it'd be fun to bring her on. And Tiffany, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. It's interesting, but (laughs) yeah, I thought it'd be fun. We'll mix it up a little bit. have a special guest, the specialist of special guests. So give me some questions. What questions can you stump me with? Oh, it's not so much stumping. I wanted to start with some questions, like you said, about the almost the horse world. Um, because we do live in St. George and my facility is five minutes from downtown St. George, which I don't even know how we found it without God's guidance. I mean, at the peak market, it was for sale and we were able to, to find it and buy it. And, um, with the location of our property, with it being, it just happened to be agricultural and commercial and residential all at once and hidden in the middle of nowhere. Um, what, hurdles did you have to go through to buy our property or even just horse property in general in St. George? Um, Because I know people do want to buy in St. George and they're looking for horse property in St. George. And even now I'm like, unless you're in, I don't even know if they've got any left in Bloomington, but in Hurricane, Damron Valley, Ivan's, that area, unless you're out there, I don't think there's any available. No, yeah, I would say, yeah, most of it has moved to the outskirts because of the square footage that requires for running a horse property or pasture or a big enough barn, that type of thing. So when you have financing on for a mortgage, they want the home to be the real asset, not a whole bunch of land. So <clears throat> most loans will cap how many acres the property can be to qualify for that loan. So it is something where you can't have the house be worth 100000 and the land be 100 acres and be worth 300000 because more value is in the land than in the home. Right. And so mortgages want to do home loans, not land loans. Hmm. So typically what you end up seeing is needing more money down to offset the value of the home versus the mortgage that you can get. So when you, when you look at a purchase contract, they'll go off the appraised value or sales price, whichever is less. But when you have that much acreage, they can't count all the land as part of the loan. So you really end up getting something where you usually have to put more money down in these situations. So like I said, we got pretty lucky with the timing of our house. A good friend of mine, we were actually looking for like a three-car garage. Uh, we were looking for maybe backyard. just upgrading a backyard for the pets and stuff like that. So we weren't. this thing didn't even pop up because it didn't even have a garage. So it wasn't even any of our search criteria and all that. And a buddy of mine, uh, Max out there, 
little shout out hey, to Max. Max. <laughs> he saw, saw it and said, dude, you got to look at this property. And I remember pulling up to the property and seeing your eyes just go as big as possible. And I went, oh, no, my life's going to change. I got horses in my backyard. <laughs> so it really did change our entire life and, and what we do. And you've done an incredible job with that facility. We remodeled all of it and turned it into something pretty cool. And again, go to horsehavenranch.org. You can check out everything that she does with that. But it is unique on financing. It's a little bit trickier. I had a loan that was up in Enterprise, which is north of town. North of town. It was 102 acres. But and, and the house was only maybe 2,000 square feet. So as you're looking at it as a lender, you're not really doing a home loan in that case. You're doing a land loan that just happens to have a home on it. So it changes the type of lender that wants to finance that property. Plus, mortgages are always based on the risk of foreclosure. If they have to take that property away, how easy is it going to be for them to resell? How many people in the market are looking for a 100-acre mm. parcel? Not as much as somebody looking for a regular single-family home. So the, the lenders that do it, that say yes or no, gets more narrow. And the more narrow it gets, the more down payment, the more risk you have to offset, the, the more other assets you may have to have. Or a lot of times, these are homes that are passed down through the generations to family members. That's usually how they end up. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And that's so much different than looking at it from a horse perspective. I see realtors who will post listings for horse property and they do all the pictures of the house and they just do an exterior of the barn or very little of the barn. And I know a lot of us horse people are like, we want to see the barn first. We want to see the stalls first. We want to see the arena and the pasture and because that's what's most important to us. So when we see a property with like 100 acres, I mean, that's Christmas morning for us because you can always change the house. You can always fix or build or expand, but you can never really expand the land. I remember there's a country song that was out, you know, buy dirt. It was just such a Mm -hmm. popular song. It was, you know, buy dirt because they're not making any more of it once that parcel or once that property is set, unless you start subdividing it down, which is a lot of what will happen on these properties. And that's why you'll see as cities kind of sprawl outward, the horse people are the ones that want to get kind of pushed out as well, like you yeah. said. So most of the horse property now is going to be a little bit north of town. You still have some stuff in Bloomington. You're going to have stuff and that's just going to be pushed out a little bit more. And generally, you want more space and more room for that oh, type yeah. of I keep uh, I keep watching the, these spaces around us to yeah. see if they go yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. All right. What else you got? That was a good question. What else you got? Um. With being in St. George and having Ivan's Hurricane, all the surrounding cities, which is the best city to buy a home? And um, do any of them have any special financing options or are any of them easier to finance in? Hmm. That's a good question. So the best home is it's always location for that particular client. Maybe they want to be near a school or shopping center or work or there's something that they want to be in that particular area, the views they like better or closer to I-15 or the airport. I mean, people usually will start narrowing down where they want to live, mostly based on where they work and play. Now, when it comes to financing options, the Hurricane Valley in the city of Ivins does have a specialized program that's known as USDA. Now, when people hear that, they often think, well, isn't that beef or isn't that (laughs) USDA? They do loans? And yeah, they actually do. They're a government-backed entity, and they have this home loan program that they designate for rural areas. And Utah has a lot of rural space between, you know, maybe Provo, kind of south Utah County, down to Washington County. Almost that entire corridor does qualify for rural housing. And rural housing came around because it was harder to finance these areas. It was harder to finance things where the bank wasn't right there. And so there was a need that the 
USDA kind of came up with. change though with hurricane growing how it is? Can they will they actually change the designation? Yes. And everything so the maps actually changed a few years ago, and they kind of said, "Wait, wait, wait. We want to dial. We don't want those maps to kick in yet." So yes, hurricane itself has gotten big enough. The population's big enough. Even most of Ivan's is at one point it was only half of Ivan's. It was weird. It's like if you're on this side of the road, you get the loan. If you're on that side, you don't. Mm. And they kind of dialed the maps back to make sure that program was still available while things were tightening up. And they just haven't let the map kind of happen again. But I remember last year was supposed to happen. So Hurricane was supposed to kind of lose that designation. Now they've allowed it to go probably another year. You got an election year. You're probably going to kick it down the road one more year. But there is a specialized program for those areas for 100% financing that makes it a little bit cheaper to finance a home. But they have guidelines as well. They're very strict on debt ratio. They're very strict on how much income you can earn. So they're a property location and how much income to qualify for that program. Outside of that, there's not anything else. It's like, okay, if you live only in Ivan's, you get a better loan or better rate because they don't want to redline certain areas or, or pull out areas that have any uh, favoritism other than that designation of rural and certain income. It's called a USDA loan. So that's a good question, too. Well, so I'm on Facebook groups, and one of the main groups that I'm on is the Utah Equestrian Community. Uh, shout out to all my friends. Um, but I do see a lot of, hey, we want to move down to St. George. Um, I know when you drive past Ivan's, which for a lot of people, it's um, kind of northeast of St. George. Um, when you drive past Ivan's, you've got Damron Valley, Diamond Valley. Um, you've got... Um, there's like Winchester Hills up Winchester there. Winchester Hills, you East got Central, Vail, Central, where yep. where you actually have a home that's for sale mm-hmm. that you've uh, renovated, and um, is all that under USDA? Yes. So as soon as you get uh, north of about, and they, it's based on the address, they'll have kind of coordinates on it. You can go to their website, you can put in income, you can put in where the address is, and see see if it qualifies. So, so if people want to want to look and see if they if they're looking at a property that qualifies what's the web address they so can look if at? you just google usda income or property eligibility usually pops up right away and it takes you to that page and it'll have like a little map that you can put on or you can call me you can call my office and i can review it with you but generally i think it hits right about ledges that ledges winchester hills everything north of that qualifies so anything oh, okay. bayo central a lot of times it's tied to the zip code so kind of with st george it has some unincorporated areas so sometimes that falls under the st george zip code and that's where Ivan's was really kind of tricky because it was half of Ivan's, so it was yeah. really weird on the map. Now, I, was, I tell you, I had two of them that were right like two blocks or a block away <laughs> from qualifying, and it was like right there. But that was a that was a few years ago when the maps were kind of this weird half of Ivan's. But still, anything that kind of gets outside of the St. George, Washington, Santa Clara bubble, mm-hmm. anything gets kind of past that still qualifies. Yeah, there's anything Hurricane Valley. So if you even go. East of Hurricane, like Laverkin, Tokerville, Leeds, Apple Valley, Springdale, Hilldale. I mean, all that whole corridor. Okay, I mean, sure. more of it does qualify than doesn't, but it is something where there's that the kind of that bubble of Washington, St. George that doesn't qualify. Yeah, because my hay supplier is um, up in Damron Valley. When I was driving up there, I was just looking at all the horses, and there was a ton of horse property mm-hmm. available. And so that's what brought that idea about. And it also is designed to be a little bit more lower income. It's not designed to be a million-dollar home or making $500,000 seem like they would be, though. No, the USDA just has this kind of, they're trying to fit a need of underserved rural areas. So they've kind of had these caps of not only location, but also income limits. So uh, they usually, they don't really have a loan limit, which is interesting, but they have an income limit, which kind of forces that loan to not allow it to go up to a million dollars or $2 million or something like that. If you have somebody who makes a lot of money Mm -hmm. that wants to get a mortgage loan, 
out there. Mm-hmm. They don't. They just have to go traditional. Yeah. Oh, so there's different loans yeah. they can use. Yeah. Just USDA, okay. like you said, one of the, this kind of specialized for certain areas. That's one of the few programs that's specialized for an area okay. and not just ju- just general financing available in those areas. And is that like one of the ones where you can get your whole property financed, or do you have to have money down or? No, the USDA or? does allow for 100% financing, but as a restriction of that income or. And that type of thing. So there's there's going to be pluses and minuses with every loan, whether it's an FHA, USDA, all these acronyms, all these right. abbreviations. Right. They all are trying to fit some sort of underserved need, and that's what capitalism is designed to do. Is hey, there's a need in the market. We can fit that need if we figure out guidelines that we're comfortable with. What risk are we willing to take on? What what guidelines do we want to run into? Because there's a guideline for everything. These guideline books are just they they've been doing loans for 50 years. They see the trends of which loans default, which ones don't. Which areas are, are do we want to serve? You know what what rate to term? What how much loan to value do we need to do? I mean, they're right. always analyzing their risk and trying to figure out where they can either fit a need that's underserved, or if they're getting hurt with a loan program, they start to say, okay, why does this loan keep going bad? Yeah. Well, because of we're not putting enough money down, or our credit scores are too low, or job history isn't good enough, or something like that. So yeah. Okay. What else you got for us? Um. So let's talk about investment properties. Okay. So you've got, um, like I said, you've got one that just went on the market up in Central. Um, I think our first house was Bonadilla Boulevard, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, from there, we moved down to St. George, and you started doing a lot with um, building, developing, that kind of thing. Um, when you first got started, what do you wish you would have known before beginning an investment? Mm, that's a good question there. So it, it, the you don't know the whole story until you get third-party opinions on it. There, anybody that brings you kind of a deal, they've got rose-colored eyes. They all do. They come with you with the hottest thing since sliced bread. You know, They come to you and say, oh, this thing's going to be worth $4 million when we're done with it. Yeah, but what's it worth now? What repairs? Uh, it always is something. There's a saying that says it always costs more and takes more time. It always costs more and takes more time. Mm-hmm. That's always what it does. So you want to give yourself a little bit more room when you are doing a rental property, <clears throat> or when you're doing a fix and flip, or when you're trying to go from your primary residence to buy another home and turn your old home into a rental. And I'll tell you, not everybody's cut out to be landlords. Not everybody's cut out to be real estate agents. Not everybody's cut out to be fix and flip wholesalers. But it's an exciting industry. It's really fun to problem solve, to take a property that is just a mess, just an absolute mess. Like we had one that took seven dumpsters just to clean it out. Just those big container dumpsters that drop in your front yard. And that's expensive. It can be because you got to have all the weight of that plus the rental of the thing. So it can be expensive to do the cleanup well, and the, and the demo. labor cleanup too, if you're not yep. doing it yourself. Right. So there, there's stuff you just have to budget and you just got to give yourself contingencies. If the bid comes in at two grand, just put it in your, your itemization or put it in your spreadsheet. It's three. Just give yourself a little bit of padding. And if there's, there's things that'll go over, things that'll go under. And hopefully by the time you get done, you hit that number you're trying to do. But I see too many times people think, okay, they don't factor in the the cost of a loan, like the private money loan or the fees for that, the title fees, the commission. Is it a lot higher than a regular mortgage loan? Yes, the interest rate on a investment property is always going to be higher because there's higher risk of it being in foreclosure. So if you got a really distressed property, you're probably going to use some sort of private money or maybe seller financing, depending on the seller. But you'll run into situations where that that initial cost is going to be more expensive because a traditional mortgage isn't going to do it. Traditional mortgages are not designed to be short term, you know, three month loan, six months loan. They're they're thirty year fixed. They're trying to have that loan for a few years at least. So you don't want to have you can't do a traditional loan then just pay it off right away. 
So it usually has to be some sort of bridge or some sort of private money loan to get the home sellable, rentable, fix it up. Because lenders are going to do an appraisal. There's a lot more underwriting guidelines with a traditional mortgage. But even then, once you get a primary residence loan versus an investment property loan, those rates are also higher. The guidelines are more. The down payments are more because it's more risky. So, for instance, if you and I, we have rental properties, Mm -hmm. if we started running into financial hardship or got injured or you couldn't work or something like that. We're going to protect our home before. Yeah, you're going to miss your payment on the rentals before you start missing your payment, typically on your primary right. residence. And they're usually a renter in there that doesn't care about the home quite as much. It's not going to be as maintained as if it was your own home. When something breaks, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't get fixed as quickly. Or if the renter just stops making the payment and they're staying in there and not making the rent to you, you don't make your payment to the land, you know, to the to the mortgage. So they're higher risk. So to offset that, what's the best way to offset it? More money down, more interest rate. That's really what mortgages are doing is based on, it's almost like an insurance in a way. They're based on the risk of foreclosure. So who does, do just mortgage companies do private money loans or is there a special category or like if I wanted to, if I found a home that I thought, hey, that would be a really cool fixer upper, we could get it on the market, I could start investing. Um, First, do I need to be a homeowner already to do that, um, and so no, you don't have to be a homeowner yet. In fact, I, I would say most of the investors that I know started with their primary residence, turned that into a rental, and then moved on to the next one. Rolled kind of rolled that to build their portfolio. That's mm-hmm. one of the great ways because you get financing for cheaper, cheaper rates, less money down. Kind of get into it, but that's that's like a long game because you're basically every six right. months or every year, and you're moving. And a lot. we kind of did that when we got down here. We would like hurricane move into the house, fix it up. Right. Sell it and then move again. Yeah, we moved a lot over those couple yeah, of years. Yeah, so there's just it was a way to be able to kind of tap into primary residence financing if the home was at least clean enough and done enough to live and move into. But usually, if you're going to be doing this type of fix and flip or distressed properties, foreclosures, you will need private money sources. So many lenders that do traditional FHA, Fannie, Freddie, USDA, these types of loans don't always do so private banks. money as, as well. Usually, banks don't either because these are definitely more high risk, more. More, credit unions? No, credit unions, banks don't do it. You're going to have okay. to run into like hedge funds. You're going to have to run into people like myself that have kind of built up a portfolio of lenders. So you do and private investors. money lending. Absolutely. Then. So we do okay. private money lending. I, I tell people I sell and money that's for Patriot, a living. Patriot, right? Yes. I'm okay. a Patriot home mortgage. We do a lot of, we do it all. I mean, I sell money for a living. That's why I always tell people it's kind of a joke. I sell money to buy real <laughs> estate. So if there's a need or if there's a financing need, as long as it makes sense, we'll be able to do it. There, I, I would still say in private money, you say no a lot more than yes when it comes yeah. to doing conventional loans because you'll have somebody come into a property that's way more distressed. They come up, come up with a budget and like, boy, that's going to take a lot more money than that to finish it. Or they don't have any money down. They're trying to use the future value. They call yeah. it ARV. Yeah. I, I'm, and that's really something you see. You, you'll see these classes. You'll see these things online where people are learning to be real estate investors yeah. and using seller financing. You don't have to tie up your own credit, your own money down. Sure. And now that you said that, all our phones are going to pop up with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now that you said it. But it's funny, though, and, and they go in these weird waves. I'll see, you know, even d- they'll have these classes of how to become a real estate investor without any money down, use the, you know, don't use the bank's money, all that kind of stuff. Don't tie up your credit. And yeah, that stuff does exist out there. But generally speaking, you're going to get a lot more no's. You're going to have to go around to people that are willing to sell or finance more often. I mean, there's definitely ways to do it. But most of the time, you're going to have to build up some money to put down, or at least the money to do the repairs. You wouldn't believe how many times people come in and say, I can get this house for 200000 I need a $300,000 loan, and it will be worth four hundred when I'm done. 
It's like, well, then you, the lender, the person, the investor, the private money person's putting up all the risk. Yeah. You could have something go wrong. You could find out the foundation's cracking, the roof's done, and you find out your budget's blown up, and you just go, well, never mind, I'm out. Sorry, it's your, your problem. So and that's what lenders want to offset that with. Hey, you got to have some skin in the game. You got to have down payment. You got to have reserves, or you got to at least pay for the rehab on the property because lenders, when they get these properties back, very rarely yeah. are they putting any money into it. They're just putting it on the market as is and hoping some other or investors are going to take it. Or goes to the auction. A lot of times they're trying to make sure they at least just have a number that they can just auction the home at. Okay. So with you would need money down then to be an investor. Generally, yes. Is it generally 20%? I've always heard that percentage. Yep. So you can do 15% down on a straight rental property financing, but generally rates are better when you get to that 25% down. So a lot of times that's where it's a rolling of another property or or that type of thing into the down payment. Now, when you're talking like private money, it's very much based on the property, the exit strategy, the uh, condition of the home, like how many repairs it's going to need. So it is something where it really is more case by case. There's not like set guidelines for private money. It's more It's more just two people coming together and saying, hey, I like the deal. I like my return. I like my risk. I will loan that money to that general contractor, to that person. And the more you start doing, the more these opportunities will start coming up. But I'll tell you, the first couple deals are going to be a little thin. You're kind of building that business. You're going to have to have a little money into it to begin with, or you're going to have to give up a little more of the profit if you bring in a private money investor. So that's what makes it kind of fun. There's not just a cookie cutter ABC yeah. guideline. It's what's the deal? What's the exit strategy? What's the risk? And here's the rates and terms we're willing to do. Where's the best area to do investment in, in Southern Utah? It really depends on location is really important. Real estate's all about location. That's why a home that's sitting in Malibu is going to be different than one that's sitting in barefoot Idaho. They could be the same construction, same quality, same everything, but the location makes a big, big difference. Okay. But that also means the cost can be different. So really, there isn't... I've seen deals that work on any level, and I've seen deals that look like they should be a home run in downtown St. George and end up not being. So it how really you, is based on market. When you're looking at a home to invest in, how do you protect yourself against the unforeseen? Like I've seen a couple of those shows where they get into it and they think it's all great, and then all of a sudden they find out they've got mold or a cracked foundation or something horrific. How do you know in advance before you put your time and energy and money into it? Home inspections are crucial. I don't care if you're buying it for yourself, a rental, a fix and flip, get a home inspection because how they're going to find. They how do you get them? So there's home inspectors you can go online. We've got some great ones that you can call my office. I can give you some of our referred partners that do a great job of going in there and finding what's wrong with the home. Now, will they catch everything? No, but they'll catch enough so there won't be this big surprise generally of something major, major wrong. Mm. They'll spend three to four hours going through every cranny of that home trying to find something wrong. And that's their job is to find something wrong. Now, there's. Oftentimes, there's nothing wrong, or there's things that you need to know about. Maybe that won't change the price, but now you can go back and rebid what the costs are for some of that stuff. If you have to replace the water heater or the furnace, or if there is foundation issues or termites or plumbing issues or roof issues, I mean, that's what their job is to do. And as you do it, you obviously will get better at catching these things for yourself. But I don't think I bought a home in the last years without doing a home inspection. Even if it's an investment fix and flip, even if the home looks like a total mess, I usually will try yeah. to get that. Because not only that, it can help me renegotiate with the seller and say, hey, you've got more problems on this than you thought. We're not going to be able to make enough or not have enough room to cover these expenses with the current asking yeah. price. So a lot of times, at least gives you a chance to go in it either eyes wide open so you can rework your bids and kind of rework where the money needs to go. So that's what you'll end up doing. So let's say you have a budget of fifty grand to repair it. 
now you either have to up that budget or you have to say, well, we can't finish some of the things we wanted to do or can't finish it quite as well, and will that help it sell better? So that's part of just having a basic idea of what things will cost. Now, I don't think I've done a fix and flip or anything like that without it being 20 grand. It's always about 20 grand. Carpet, paint, clean cabinets, up. clean up. You know, it's going to be about that almost everything that you do. So when it starts getting more and more than that, you just have to look at your numbers. You'll get to a point where the home has a cap of what it's going to earn. It's going to be a $500,000 home no matter what you do to it. So as soon as you get to a certain point where you're adding money just to get it sellable, that margin just tightens mm. up like crazy. So it is something, I mean, there is risk with it. I, I see some of those shows like you're talking about that they made like five grand <laughs> after, and it was like, wait, that yeah. was like four or five months. Yeah. That doesn't count any interest or points. The that doesn't payment. count commission. That doesn't count payments. I'm like, you lost money. <laughs> you lost money on that deal. Don't sit there and say you made five grand. And it's like, and really, do you want to sit there on a project for six months and make five grand? No. But you're not going to make 50 every time you touch a house. You know, you're not. So it, it's being realistic. It's having contingency. It's getting as much of your eyes wide open going into the deal as possible to just make sure you're ready for unforeseen. And stuff's still going to happen, no matter how many times you're gonna, you know, some, something will happen. Because you'll tear down a wall and get behind and go, holy moly, what is that? You know? yeah. So, But I think home inspections can really get your eyes more open going into a project. And I recommend them on every single loan, whether it's a purchase or a refi. So, Tiffany, this was awesome. I hope this was helpful. What do you think, producer Still guy? Had two questions, Fantastic. unfortunately. Look, this guy's awesome. This is our Freddie Mac uh, producer back here. So, uh, really appreciate it. I thought this was fun. And again, I, <laughs> this versus <laughs> this. I don't know how. There's mysteries in the world we'll just never know. I mean, we can figure out loans and real estate financing, but why this wonderful woman said yes to the I do. going to have to come back. I've had more questions. <laughs> oh, I know. You never get through all of them, but uh, appreciate your time. Thanks for watching. Thanks, guys. This has been the Clear to Close podcast with Ryan Bolton and Carson Jones. Please submit your comments, questions, and topics for future episodes to cleartoclosepod at gmail.com. That's clear, the number two, closepod at gmail.com. Or findmyhomeutah.com or ryanbolton.com. Please like, follow, and share. And until next time, this is the Clear to Close podcast. Views expressed do not necessarily reflect those of Patriot Home Mortgage or Team Honey with Red Rock Real Estate. License number NMLS 299717. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.